You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Hey, y'all. Spooky season is here. And if you're looking for a show to whet your appetite for a little haunted history, then I'd like to invite you to check out Southern Gothic, a chart-topping history podcast that explores some of the most infamous legends, folklore, ghost stories, and hauntings of the American South. We've covered all sorts of stuff from the Bell Witch of Tennessee to the disappearance of the Confederate submarine, the H.L. Hunley, not to mention our deep dives into the local lore of some of America's oldest and most haunted cities like New Orleans, Charleston, and St. Augustine. So if you're ready for a little good old-fashioned Halloween storytelling with a commitment to quality historical research, then be sure to check out Southern Gothic today. It's available now on all your favorite podcast apps. All right, quiet on the set. Camera speed. Sound production, take one. Action! Welcome to From Beneath the Hollywood Sign. If you love old movies, Hollywood history, or the golden age of filmmaking, you've come to the right place. This is the podcast that talks about amazing stories of Tinseltown from another era. Hear fascinating conversations with writer-producer Steve Kubine, who quite literally lives just beneath the Hollywood sign, and actress-writer Nan McNamara. Now your hosts, Steve and Nan. Welcome back, everybody. We've got another great show for you today. But um, first of all, Nan, I heard that you and Lindsay saw a very special movie last night. We did see a very special movie. I was texting you last night. And one of us, it was the first time we watched... The best years of our lives. Yes, which was pretty amazing. Lindsay, you gotta you gotta pop in here and and tell us it was your first time. What did you think? What I said to you when we were watching it was, I'm embarrassed that I'm the age that I am, and for some reason I never <laughs> saw this film before last night. It's, we blame your parents. <laughs> <laughs> gotta be one of the top five films I've ever seen. It's sublime. I mean, it really, really is just a near perfect movie. And we were we were both not even just tearing. We were both outright. Crying. I think it was 15 minutes in. It wasn't even, it just grabs you immediately. Well, and as we were just saying, what that must have been like to see that movie in the theater right after the war was over, uh, just amazing. Just that the filmmakers, William Wyler, everybody, had the foresight to write and produce that movie at that time. Yes. And it's no wonder that it swept the Oscars. Absolutely. And it it has a great cast, as we know. It's Dana Andrews, and it's Frederick March, it's Myrna Loy, Teresa Wright, and real-life veteran Harold Russell. But it also features our subject of the day. Yes, which was part of the reason that we watched last night, although our subject does have a very small role. It's quite pivotal. Yeah, very much so. And it also is typical of the type of movies he, or the type of roles, I should say, that he was famous for. Yes. And our subject today is Hollywood's original bad boy, Steve Cochran. Steve Cochran. Now, before we dive into Steve Cochran, 
I just think you should share a little bit <laughs> of your personal connection to Steve Cochran. Well, you know, I, I do have a, a kind of funny personal connection to Steve Cochran, and it's all about the name, the name Steve. I was told my whole life, or most of my life, that I was named for St. Stephen from yes, the Bible. right. The saint who refused to denounce Jesus Christ and was put on trial, and he was actually stoned to death for his faithfulness. And I thought that was great. That's what I thought. That's what my sweet religious grandmother always thought. And then one night, I'm up late watching movies, as I was wont to do, (laughs) (laughs) and I'm watching White Heat. Um, Raoul Walsh's masterpiece with Jimmy Cagney. And there's a scene with James Cagney and this young, sexy, brooding, swarthy guy named Steve Cochran. And while I'm watching it, my mom walks in. She looks at the TV screen probably lingers a little long on Steve Cochran. (laughs) Which is a little like when you're a kid, you kind of don't want to see your mom looking longingly like that. Exactly. (laughs) And she just says to me, she goes, well, there he is. That's who you're named after. And I'm like, what? What? I said, what about St. Stephen and the stoning and the saint and all that? And she goes, that's what I just told your grandmother. Don't tell her. (laughs) (laughs) So come to find out, I'm not named after this wonderful man of goodness and religion and light. I'm named after this B-movie beefcake star. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I guess there are worse things, right? There are certainly worse things, and I'll I'll take it. Yes. Because Steve Cochran certainly lived a a full, (laughs) and as we'll find out, adventurous life. (laughs) He really did. And he actually, in some ways, even talks about his own life in that way. That quote that you have on your original blog post about the big secret in playing a gangster in movies is to really believe that the character you are playing is doing no wrong. And that's kind of how he lived his life. Yes. I I think that's so apropos for his own personal philosophy. Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, he started life out and it truly reads like something out of an American macho man's handbook. I I agree. Totally. He was born in Eureka, California in 1917. He was Robert Alexander Cochran. But he grew up in Laramie, Wyoming, where his father was a logger. Such a macho occupation. So it's just perfect that Steve Cochran's father was a logger. Of course. And, you know, he was this gifted athlete. He was a basketball star in high school. But he did get kicked off the team for fraternizing with the ladies. See, this is stuff to come. Even that was a precursor for things to come exactly. in Mr. Cochran's life. But, you know, he knocked around after high school. He worked as a ranch hand, all these odd jobs, until he finally went to the University of Wyoming for a time. But he ended up dropping out and moving to Detroit, Michigan, where he sold vacuum cleaners <laughs> oh, <laughs> to wow. make a living. Okay, And he also got involved in theater. And he really learned that he had a knack for acting and he loved it. At that point, he decided he was going to be a movie star. So in 1937, he hightailed it to Hollywood, ready to knock on the doors and movie star. That was his destiny. Well, when he got to Hollywood, a little bit of a hard nut to crack. Right. So he bounced around. He took all these random jobs. He, I think he was a department store detective at one point. Oh, I can these, see that. Oh, totally. Don't mess with him. But he also started doing summer stock and doing theater and really learning his craft. And this is when he was in Carmel, right? He was at the Shakespeare Festival he up did. there? He did. He spent time up in Carmel. He did a whole season. I mean, he yeah. did like four or five Shakespeare plays yes. in one summer. So he, he 
knew his stuff. I mean, mm-hmm. he definitely wasn't some just pretty face. He actually had some talent to back it up, I think, and some training, which right. was cool. About that time, after he'd been in Hollywood a few years, the war broke out. Mm-hmm. He had a heart murmur, could not go to war. So he ended up directing and starring in these plays that he would perform at all these army bases, which is a cool thing to do. Yeah, another patriotic person. But, you know, he wasn't really happy in Hollywood. Nothing was really happening for him. So he decided to go to New York. He wanted to try legitimate theater. Uh, so he Because went- that's so much easier than, <laughs> than breaking into right. Hollywood, right? Let's go to Broadway. Yeah. I'll just get on stage there. We'll try that. <laughs> but that worked. It did work. He ended up getting cast in a couple of popular plays that, that got him noticed. And then he ended up joining the touring company of a play called Without Love, which had starred Catherine Hepburn on Broadway, but it starred the 1930s and 40s movie star Constance Bennett when mm. it hit the road. It was there that he got discovered by Hollywood producer Samuel Goldwyn. Mm-hmm. Goldwyn saw him. He immediately saw his appeal. He saw the charisma, the star quality oh, this yeah. kid had. He put him under personal contract and took him back to Hollywood. But this time, Cochran got to go back to Hollywood with a movie contract and the backing of Samuel Goldwyn. So big, big difference. A big difference. And he really did jump right in and was in a number of pretty big titles with some amazing actors. Well, you know, he did a small part in this, I think it's called Booked on Suspicion, which was one of those installments of those blacky Boston crime dramas. But then he went right into a pretty high profile movie called Wonder Man, which starred Danny Kaye, Virginia Mayo, and Vera Ellen. Oh, Vera Ellen. Ah, I know. I love her. Yeah, me too. Uh, White Christmas. Yes, her her dancing is just out of this world. Yeah. Of course, in Wonder Man, what character do you think Steve Cochran played? Uh, I bet he played, mm, let's see, the gangster. (laughs) You would be right. (laughs) And that casting really kind of led him into a series of roles that he played throughout his career that typecast him in every kind of bad boy part you can imagine. (laughs) Exactly. After that, he was this lecherous boxer in The Kid from Brooklyn in 1946, which again starred Danny Kaye, Virginia Mayo, and Vera Ellen. (laughs) You know, they thought if it it works once, it'll work twice. Hey, do it again. It's Hollywood. (laughs) And then he played a a mobster in the movie The Chase in 1946, which starred Robert Cummings and Michelle Morgan. But then he got his big break. And this is the movie we just talked about. He got cast in the small but pivotal part of Cliff in The Best Years of Our Lives by his mentor, Samuel Goldwyn. And that changed everything. And it is a small part, but it really does turn the story for Dana Andrews' character. And you can see just the charisma in that one short scene. He really stands out. He's not even really, he's only in profile for most of the scene. And he still really stands out. But he had such a presence in that one moment. And to be in a film that was so lauded yeah. at that time. It's sort of like now, if you are associated with something that's taken off, you take off as well. Yeah, ride that coattail. Right. It got him a lot of notice in Hollywood, but he made the interesting choice to go back to Broadway after okay. this. And he ended up starring opposite Mae West, oh, the great Mae, yes. <laughs> in Lil Diamond. But it was during this time that his contract from Samuel Goldwyn got picked up by Warner Brothers. Okay. So he was brought back to Hollywood, and that's when he was cast in White Heat with Jimmy uh, Cagney, which, okay. is, of course, is the movie that led to my discovery that I wasn't named after St. Stephen. Right, right, right. 
This really started the peak of his career, where he was at his finest. He continued to reign as moviegoers' favorite bad guy. He he tormented Joan Crawford in The Damn Don't Cry in 1950. And he played a psychopathic man who tries to destroy Gary Cooper in Dallas in 1950. So he's opposite these huge stars of the time. Yeah, and he's a rising star in his own right. So it's, it's a big time for him. I think one of his pivotal movies, and it's him at his absolute worst, is when he played Doris Day's volatile husband, who ends up being a Ku Klux Klan member. Oh, boy. And rapes her sister, played by Ginger Rogers, in the very disturbing movie Storm Warning in 1951. And when you called him he's at his worst, you don't mean his acting. You mean his character is <laughs> oh, at his, his worst, clearly. at his worst. <laughs> yeah. I think that was the pinnacle of his bad boy. But every now and then, he got to play something other than a bad boy. And mm. when he did, he did it really well. Hmm. And, and But he's not remembered for this. And right. The example I think of... And it's a very little-known movie called Tomorrow Is Another Day, also 1951. And it starred Cochran and Ruth Roman. Who you just wrote your recent uh, Star of the Month blog about. Yeah, she's my October Star of the Month on the blog. But it's about a couple, and they're on the wrong side of the law. They're bad guys or bad girls, but they decide to go straight. Mm. They want to turn their lives around. They want to be good. They want to just be good citizens and, and leave their life of crime behind. So it's just an interesting character study that he really sank his teeth into and gave an outstanding performance. And and he ends up being the good guy, which Mm. is rare for him. I would imagine with him having played so many bad guys that this was a wonderful challenge for him, that he really wanted to embrace that and hope for perhaps different roles in the future for himself. Yeah, because I'm sure it's not easy being typecast. Mm -hmm. I mean, it worked for him and he worked constantly, but I'm sure as an actor, you long to play other roles. You get bored. Yeah. Yeah. You want to be able to do something else. But man, nobody did it better than him. (laughs) Nobody did it better. So he's mainly playing these bad boys on screen. What was his life like, Steve, off screen? (laughs) Well, you know, as rough and ready as the characters that Cochran played were on the big screen, his personal life, these roles probably paled in comparison. Comparison to his off-screen life. <laughs> so was, they rivaled it, at least. He, exactly. He loved women, he loved booze, and he liked to party. Okay. All right. The he trifecta. Was, he was that kind of guy. He had many run-ins with the law because of his bad boy lifestyle. Actually, this is interesting. He was in the press for being the first person to get a traffic ticket for piloting his private plane erratically over Beverly Hills. <laughs> I don't even know what to say to that. I know. Well, he was spotted flying too low, and he was tipping his wings at houses. Oh, like of people that he knew or something? I don't know, but I'm going to imagine some cocktails were involved. I I would imagine. But, you know, he was also, he was picked up by the police for assaulting a man with a baseball bat, and he was driving his car, his sports car, too fast. And, well, he was charged for reportedly tying up, gagging, and beating this aspiring singer named Ronnie Ray. And how did they connect? She had come over to his house to audition for a a movie role. And who knows what happened, but obviously something bad happened and, you know, the police got involved. So was he charged with anything? All charges were dropped in this case because you remember those were the days when studios had police officers on their payroll. Mm. So whenever a star got in trouble, they would sweep in, clean up the mess, make it go away. And that's what they did for Steve Cochran here with the Ronnie Ray situation. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. 
you know, we have a lot more to talk about uh, with Steve Cochran and his life, but it's now time for our Hollywood pop quiz. Steve, take it away. All right. And in honor of Steve Cochran, the question is about Steve Cochran. <laughs> Imagine that. We were talking about the best years of our lives earlier, where Steve Cochran plays Cliff, and he's having an affair with Dana Andrews' wife, who's played by Virginia Mayo. The pop quiz question of the day is, how many films did Steve Cochran and Virginia Mayo make together? And you'll get bonus points if you can name them all. Okay. Um, no Googling allowed. <laughs> And we'll be right back with the answer and more about Steve Cochran after this. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, Steve and Nan will be right back, but first, another stop on the Hollywood tour. Oh, and keep your arms and legs inside the bus while we're moving. One major reason that Hollywood emerged as the epicenter of filmmaking is that early on, most movie-making patents were held by Thomas Edison's company, New Jersey, and filmmakers were sued to stop their productions. So to escape this scrutiny, filmmakers began moving west to Los Angeles, where enforcement was difficult and the weather allowed for filming year-round. Take that, Thomas Edison. Now, back to Steve and Nan from Beneath the Hollywood Sign. Welcome back, everybody. We're talking about Steve Cochran. I would love to know, we have had an episode in the past where we talked about the web of love. Tell <laughs> us about Steve Cochran's web of love. Well, Steve liked to spread that web around. <laughs> that, that is for sure. Uh, he was quite a ladies' man, and he was notorious for uh, being a womanizer. You know, he often got in trouble for it as well. On more than one occasion, he was accosted by a jealous husband, a jealous boyfriend. He was even sued by one man for alienation of affection from his wife in their divorce settlement. Okay. He was married three times. So, right. you know, he made it legit at least three times. Yes. His first wife was an artist. Her name was Florence Lockwood. And they were married for almost 10 years. It was with Florence that he had his one and only child, a daughter named Zandra. Oh. His second wife was the Western film actress Faye McKenzie. Okay. They were only married a couple of years. It was very short and sweet. I don't know if it was sweet, but it was short. <laughs> <laughs> and then his third and final wife was Jana Jensen. And she was this Norwegian immigrant who he met in 1961 when he was 44 and she was only 19. Now, was she an actress or she... No. She was an actress. She might have been a little Norwegian immigrant looking for a green card. I don't know. Right, right. But she married Steve Cochran. And they got married after this very brief three-month courtship. So it was very fast. So while the three marriages happened, I know he had a lot of life as well with actresses. <laughs> were these outside of the marriage or we just don't know because there you were know, just so many? We don't know, but if you go back and look at some of the dates of some of these alleged affairs, there was a little overlappage there with some wives. Okay. So we, we don't know what Steve was up to, but there was a joke in Hollywood that if Steve Cochran made a movie with you, he probably slept with you. Oh, boy. <laughs> and there were some amazing people that he is allegedly... Oh, it's like a 1950 
50s fan magazine. Yeah. <laughs> he slept with Joan Crawford and Mae West and Ida Lupino, Jane Mansfield, Mamie Van Doren, Meryl Oberon, Yvonne DiCarlo. The list goes on and on. He, he loved the beautiful ladies. And I know we'll talk about this uh, a little bit later, but some of them really had great affection for him even after the affair was over, one in particular that, that we'll talk about. So in the early 60s, his career is starting to wane a bit, and he forms his own production company. Is that right? Right, which I think was pretty innovative at the time. Definitely. I, mean, I think he realized that he had to create his own content that he could star in and direct and produce, which was really cutting edge and, and sort of ahead of the curve, I think. Yeah, I agree. Well, his production company it was called Robert Alexander Productions, which was his real name, mm -hmm. Robert Alexander. And so he started trying to find projects for himself. Most of the things he developed went nowhere, but he did have this one pet project called Captain O'Flynn, and it was the lusty tale of a sea captain who set sail with, get this, <laughs> an all-female crew. <laughs> hmm. Oh, that sounds very interesting. Something I'd love to go see. <laughs> and very on-brand for Steve Cochran. <laughs> very on-brand. Very on-brand. Oh, so, you know, so he decided to do a lot of research for this Captain O'Flynn, and he took it very seriously. He started auditioning actors for it. And in fact, Ronnie Ray was auditioning for a role in Captain O'Flynn when the incident happened. Oh. So okay. one thing he did do to prep himself for this movie, in June of 1965, he set sail aboard his personal yacht, of course, appropriately named The Rogue. What else? <laughs> what else could you name? And he's going to go and scout locations for the film and do research. Okay, so he owns his own, I wouldn't even call it a boat. I think it's a, a schooner, a yes, sailboat, essentially. It's, it's but pr a big, pretty massive. Yeah, 40-foot yeah, boat. Yes. Schooner. Yeah. It's a 40-foot schooner. <laughs> right. I think he really saw Captain O'Flynn as just an, a part of himself. Mm -hmm. I mean, he was a yachtsman. He was a sailor. He was lusty guy. So he, he's basically telling his own story. Okay. So to do research, he set sail on his boat. And he does a little pit stop in Acapulco, Mexico, where he hires three young Mexican women. One's 25, one's 19, and the third is only 14 years old. And they're all experts at sailing, right? That's why he hired them. <laughs> well, it was for research for the film, of course. I see. And they were okay. all very attractive. So right, <laughs> right. That didn't math. hurt, yeah. <laughs> exactly. So they're, they're out at sea, a day out from Acapulco. They encounter this severe storm. Mm -hmm. Well, it was so bad, it damaged one of the ship's masts, leaving the ship basically useless. It was just this floating ship, aimless at sea. So Steve Cochran tries to fix the mast. He can't do it. And then shortly after that, he falls ill. Well, and just not to you know hit this over the head too much, but it is a really big ship. No one else but him knows how to sail it. It's damaged, and now he's ill. Yes. Well, the women, they tried to care for him as best they could, but he got worse, and he got worse, and he got worse, and then he died. Oh, no. I mean... On the yacht? On the, the boat? So this man has died oh. on this disabled boat that these three women have no idea how to operate. And they're essentially lost at sea. They are. And so they just drift around for 10 days. Okay. Can I just 
stop for a second there. Ten days at sea. Where is Steve Cochran's body? <laughs> I know. Good question. Well, they locked him up in a cabin as far away from them as they could get. And that's where he laid for 10 days decomposing. Oh. I mean, it must have been a ghastly sight on that boat. Well, when you think of the sun, the heat, and all yes. that that does to speed up that process, I'm no scientist, but yeah. that must have been a horrific sight. I know. Just, I mean, what a way to go. Yeah. That's just... It's crazy. Finally, eventually, the women were rescued off the coast of Guatemala. Um, you know, they told the authorities what happened. Um, but for years, there were all these whispers and rumors. Even his former lover, Merle Oberon, asked for there to be an autopsy because she feared there was foul play. Yes. And, you know, there was an autopsy done on him, and it was revealed that he died of a lung infection. He was only 48. Wow. Was he a smoker? Probably. Probably, yeah. <laughs> it's very telling. Steve Cochran, he died like he lived, roguishly, wildly. <laughs> it's so apropos. But Steve Cochran, as you call him, the baddest of the bad boys, has a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Yes, he does. And, you know, he has a very wonderful legacy of movies, too. I mean, he really was a good actor. He just brought such a spark and such a charismatic anti-hero to so many roles. And some of our more contemporary bad boys like Jack Nicholson, Robert Downey Jr., Sean Penn, Colin yes, O'Farrell. They, I think... They owe a nod they to Steve Cochran. They absolutely owe a nod to Steve Cochran. Um, you know, he was the OG. He was the OG. <laughs> so, Steve, tell us the answer to today's pop quiz. Well, the question was, how many films did Steve Cochran and Virginia Mayo star in together? And the answer is surprisingly six films six you get bonus points if you could name them well even i had to look up a <laughs> okay. couple of them so. okay I'm, if anybody did get this right and didn't have to look it up please email us yeah, email us immediately <laughs> yes. and we will have you on the show we will have you on the show <laughs> but the six films were in case you're curious <laughs> um wonder man 1945 the kid from brooklyn 1946 of course, The Best Years of Our Lives, 1946 also. A Song is Born, 1948. White Heat, which we talked about, 1948. And their final film together was She's Back on Broadway, 1953. Hmm, that's wonderful. What an interesting discussion, Steve. Thanks so much. And thanks, everybody, for listening. And we would love it if you would give us a follow on social media. We're on Instagram and Facebook and YouTube. We have our own YouTube channel at from beneath the Hollywood sign. And if you have any questions, comments, ideas for shows, anything, we'd love to hear from you. So please email us at info at frombeneaththehollywoodsign.com. All right, we'll see you next week. That's this week's view. From Beneath the Hollywood Sign. You've been listening to From Beneath the Hollywood Sign with Steve Kubine and Ann McNamara, the podcast that celebrates amazing stories of Tinseltown from its golden era. Join us next week for another episode and learn something else about Hollywood you probably never knew. Take a moment and give us a five-star rating and a positive review. And tell your friends about us, too. It'll help grow the podcast. Visit Steve's website at frombeneaththehollywoodsign.com. The executive producers are Steve Kubine and Nan McNamara. Executive producer and post-production supervisor, Lindsay Schneble. This podcast is part of the Airwave Media Podcast Network. Visit airwavemedia.com to listen and subscribe to their other fine shows like The Box of Oddities and The Shallow End with Schneble and Toth. Copyright 2023. All rights reserved. That's a wrap. Thank you.